Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubaton is here with us today. Eric, how are you? Living the dream. And uh, hopefully we will have uh, a strong first and second half of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's something <laughs> our basketball team can't figure out. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Kansas State, a couple big games coming up this week at home. They get TCU and then on Saturday facing the Texas Tech team that's coming off a big win over Kansas. So we brought on Seth Youngman, manager and founder of Staking the Plains. Seth, how you doing? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. I mean, let's start. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about K-State a little bit, but let's start with something we can both enjoy. The big win for Texas Tech over Kansas. I mean, missing your top two scorers, pretty impressive to get that. I, it feels like at this point, the Texas Tech coaching staff could pick five guys from the YMCA and, and have a great defense, but <laughs> where did they find the scorers to beat KU in this one? Gosh, it was such a collective effort, and honestly, I think a lot of it was defensive in nature. I really thought, well, of course, we didn't really know until game time or about an hour before who was going to be available, but I didn't think that we'd be able to survive in the same seven guys that we had against Iowa State. They just weren't offensive enough, and so having a couple guys back, particularly Malik Wilson, at point guard helped significantly just because we were just so, I mean, with McCullough out and Shannon who plays a little bit of forward and guard, but McCullough is the primary ball handler. We just didn't have anybody to really handle the ball. So Wilson helped step up a ton. And then really we just got a ton of scoring from guys that like Clarence and Adoni, just, you know, 17 points is more than he's scored all year, I think. So he had all that in one game. And Bryson Williams, the transfer from UTEP, had uh, a heck of a game too. And he's kind of struggled a little bit recently just because he's tried to do so much. But he really let the game come to him. And I think the other big part of it too is that Kansas is just not very good inside. We scored 44 points in the paint to 18 or something like that for Kansas. And, you know, they've always had a strong front court and they are not strong at all and of course you know we just hammered inside so um, I think that was really probably the biggest difference in the game well, I guess that's probably good news for K-State because the front court has definitely been the weakness for this team as well especially lately you know missing all of those guys but we'll see so what is the, the status of McCuller and Shannon you know, obviously, Texas Tech's got a really tough one coming up at Baylor before KSA came. But those guys are close, right? You know, I tend to think that Shannon is not close. And mm. apparently McCullough twisted an ankle right before the Iowa State game or maybe the practice before the Iowa State game. So, you know, sometimes ankles take a while. And with Shannon, it was a tweaked back. Um, it was like in the second to last game for a non-conference portion. So I don't know with Shannon. Uh, Adam said that he thinks it may be a while. McCuller, who knows? It would be nice if it's – I doubt that it's by Baylor. I, I just don't think it would be by Baylor. It would be nice if it was, though. And it's good that he's on the bench, so I think that's a positive. Yeah, those back injuries can often linger for a while. So that's no Yeah. Problem. That's scary. Uh, yeah, so I guess maybe before we talk about K-State, um, Texas Tech playing shorthanded. Um, I know, I mean, KU made a little run at the end, 
Uh, how much did you feel like fatigue was a factor with that smaller roster? You know, interestingly, you know, Kansas did make a run at the end, but both teams scored 42 points in the second half. And so I think that Kansas definitely kind of came back to earth. You know, previously in the first half, they just really didn't hit a, very many open shots. And so they hit a lot more open shots in the second half. But again, Texas Tech didn't really fade. I mean, they faded to an extent because they didn't get the same lead, but they both scored 42 points in the second half. And so I I kind of felt like they kept the pressure on. And so just being able to score with Kansas is probably the hardest part because they're such a good offensive team. And so that's a segue into Kansas State. You know, the, the narrative has kind of been with the short bench that they're getting tired and that's why they're going to be in the second half. But, I mean, to me, I'm a little sick of that narrative. I hope the team is too, like I wrote in the recap yesterday. I mean, Eric, there's more to those second half struggles and, and what's gone wrong. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the deal is. It's kind of, uh, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of reminiscent to the way the football team played for most of the year. You know, the third quarter struggles that the football team had for a number of games was uh, well documented. And, you know, you see our guys come out in the second half. I didn't get to watch the Texas game because I was actually down at the bowl game uh, in Houston. But just watching us play against West Virginia in the first part of that second half, it just looked like we came out and expected things to be as easy as they seemed in the first half and kind of got punched in the mouth and didn't really know what to do with it. And by the time we could, we really kind of got our wits about us, that 13 point lead or whatever we had at half was gone. So I'm not quite sure what the story is. It's, it's not like they're, they look tired. I certainly think that you could probably take that narrative about, you know, the short bench and everything and throw it out the window because it comes around later in the half. It just really like we we just didn't look like we were ready to play basketball in the second half. Yeah, and then the other interesting wrinkle is is you know when Bruce was on the bench, the team had kind of had a trend of slow starts and, and finishing strong, and then since he's been gone, that's totally flipped where they start really strong and have struggled later. What do you make of that? I mean, small sample size, obviously. Yeah, definitely a small sample size. Part of me kind of wonders if that that with Bruce at the helm, we actually do make some adjustments coming out for the second half and kind of figure out what wasn't working and try to fix those things. What was working? Let's keep working on it. Let's keep doing that kind of stuff. You know, I think that there's some of that that is probably occurring with Bruce at the helm that probably doesn't happen as effectively with whether it was Shane uh, against Texas or Jermaine uh, against West Virginia. So, I mean, we can really just speculate with what's going on there. One of my friends actually said, can we just have whoever did the scout coach the team in the first half and have Bruce coach the second half um, and <laughs> just do that the rest of the season? Uh, and, you know, that's it doesn't sound – at this point, I would say nothing is off the table right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's – I don't know. So looking ahead to, to Saturday – I guess that's one thing maybe as a, as a K-State fan, I'd be hopeful that maybe Texas Tech is going to be coming off two games against KU and Baylor. Maybe there will be a little bit of a letdown for the tough, well, I don't know how tough it is to play at Bramlage anymore, but with that road game, um, you know, do you think there's any chance of that happening? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm reading the, the schedule incorrectly here or not, but it looks like Texas Tech actually has a game on Thursday too against Oklahoma oh. State. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, so, Oklahoma State had to cancel the January 2nd or 3rd game for COVID reasons. And okay, so, okay. yeah, we just play a ton of games. And, of course, 
it's put us in a little bit of a bind is we're having to play a ton of games in a very short period of time. I don't think that there's going to be a letdown, but it may be tired. I mean, you know, with a limited roster and not as many guys, that may come into play. I don't, I don't see Texas Tech as being a team that just doesn't show up. You know, they're pretty good about that, and they have been good about that since Beard. I mean, they just typically don't get blown out a ton. And, you know, it's a, as you guys talk about sample size so far with uh, Mark Adams, but he, I, I think he tends to have his guys pretty much ready to go too. I mean, even Gonzaga, they, they were, I mean, it wasn't close, but it, you know, it wasn't a blowout either. And so, you know, it, it, I don't think it'll be not ready to play, but I definitely think it'll be a game where they may be a little bit tired. You know, four or five games in so many days is probably not conducive to good basketball. So, yeah, that's that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Is it, I'm probably less concerned about trying to find the the or trying to hope for a letdown or something like that. Is just you know, the the tired legs coming off of it and. I guess what you will find out more in the second half of the the game on Saturday if that ends up being the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we talked about the top two guys, does Tech have any other guys coming back from COVID or injuries this week that they can at least add some depth? I think that uh, Agbo may be coming back and Sadar Calhoun may be coming back. Those are both kind of wing type guys that are coming back. You know, I really think that Malik Wilson coming back from injury, he wasn't, it wasn't COVID related. It was just injury related. He had a knee scope. So his limits were probably limited against Kansas. And so having an extra guard that can handle the ball, that's probably the biggest part of it because that, I think that Nadoni had to play almost all of the Iowa state game as a result of just not really having anybody else that could handle the ball. So. Well, then, so Tech also, you know, was able to force 17 turnovers against Kansas. Has that been something that this team has done well? I mean, we know that their defense is always very good at challenging shots. Have they been forcing turnovers as well? Yeah, so Tech is, I mean, you know, so I think there's been a ton written about how Adams is was really kind of the guy that was the defensive coordinator for Beard's teams last year. And I there was a lot about, how, I guess right after this game, Seth Davis commented about how the attitude that Chris Beard instilled in the team. And so I think a lot of Tech fans are a little bit upset about that just from the standpoint that, well, that presumes that it was Beard and not Adams. And so I think that Adams is actually a pretty tough individual. And so the defensive aspect of it is something that he prides himself on. So, I mean... I think he commented, his first comment after the Kansas game was, you know, they said, well, you held Kansas to their season low of 67 points. And he's like, well, I, I really thought that that was way too many points to give up. So I'm not real happy. About that, <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that he, yeah, defense is something that Tech continues to pride itself on and getting points in the paint is something that I think that they've done since Beard left. And I think that they've kind of added a little bit more flow to the offense. It wasn't really evident against Iowa State, but it was definitely evident against Kansas. I thought that they really swung the ball well, and I think that there was something like 18 assists and only 12 turnovers for Tech. So they definitely played a lot better and, you know, got a lot more open shots. So I I think that's a pretty significant stat, just knowing that they got more assists and turnovers. And, And as you say, 
really forced Kansas into a lot of turnovers themselves. Yeah. And just to kind of reinforce, I guess, what Adam said, Tech is second in the Big 12, only giving up 58 points per game. Uh, they're number one in, in field goal percentage defense. One thing that's kind of interesting is they, they are more middle of the pack in terms of three-point percentage defense. Now, obviously, when we've talked about the analytics show, there's kind of more of a luck factor to that. But, you know, K-State has a lot more shooters this year than they've had in the past. You know, those guys – be able to get some open looks against the tech defense? Yeah, so that three-point percentage was really kind of a wonky thing. You know how sometimes when you play in the non-conference portion, and, you know, Tech does not play teams that are very good. So they, you know, they did play Gonzaga. They played Providence on the road, and they played Tennessee in Madison Square Garden. So those were their three toughest non-con games. And But all the other teams were those, you know, Arkansas Pine Bluff and, you know, whoever, Southern, or I can't even remember all the kind of off-team names that were just looking for some buy games. And so, <laughs> and you know, a lot of those teams... Most of the teams we played. Yeah, that's well, true. Well, <laughs> but a lot of those teams tend to just shoot a ton of threes, right? So yeah. when, you know, because that's really the way that they're going to be able to stay in a game. And so that's kind of my theory. You know, that the defense was struggling a bit to kind of, especially when the ball gets swung. I mean, just like anybody else, when they're, you know, switching so much and swinging the ball really well, well, then it makes it a little bit hard to catch up. And so it didn't really hurt Tech in the long run. Honestly, I thought that Kansas missed a lot of open shots. So it wouldn't surprise me if K-State gets some open looks. But one of the things I was really kind of noticing about K-State, maybe you guys can kind of help me with this, is that, Really, there just aren't a ton of great shooters other than Pack and Smith. And that sometimes it seems as if that, like, guys like Earl and I don't know if I'm going to say his name, but Luke Kasupki are shooting you guys out of, you know, some games in a way. Miguel, too, he hasn't shot the ball very well. And even Noel isn't really shooting very well. So you've got two very good shooters. And Pack, I loved Pack. I remember watching him last year. I was like, wow, he is he is a fun kid to watch. I mean, you always hate to yeah. play a guy like that, but he's so athletic and so good. But it seems like that's kind of the problem for K-State is that if they can get hot, well, then maybe, maybe their tides turn a little bit. Yeah, I would throw him a suit, I think, in that list of good shooters. He's maybe a little more streaky, but can be pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, De- definitely. I think, uh, you know, Masood started the season – just absolutely horrific from outside. And we were kind of wondering what was going on. And I think I think it was Fitz said something uh, that was very eloquent. I forget which game it was, but he suddenly went from, Ish went from Mish to Swish. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's been, he's been shooting the ball pretty well to the point where you're not too concerned when he starts launching it there. Noel has those games where it's just like, he's going to make some shots and keep you in the game, or he's going to miss some shots. And you're just wondering what the heck is going on. And, you know, you, you really have to, just kind of get behind the high risk, high reward type player he is. Uh, you mentioned yeah. Nigel and uh, Mark Smith. Nigel and Mark Smith are both shooting over forty percent from three for the season. Ish is is sneaking up there after the slow start he had. Selton Miguel is one of those players that you know he's been streaky. I, I think he can make the three when he's open. It's just when he's taking some guarded threes that it becomes a bit of an issue. So holistically, I think that we've got that we have players all around the all around the horn that can make the three if left open. 
Yeah. yeah. And I will say, I think the, the biggest problem with Noel for me is that if he's shooting well, then he's going to start taking some really dumb shots. Like, he always has to have a heat check. Yep. And that and usually that issue. heat check's coming from about 32 feet. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 But he's also been effective and some of the other guys that at driving into the lane and finishing, not always as much lately. But so, I don't know, when we talk about K-State's front court, it's kind of weak. I don't know how well they're going to do against Texas Tech. But, you know, what about Texas Tech's rim defenders? And how good are they at stopping those kind of dribble drives? The rim defense isn't necessarily something I think to write home about. I mean, I think that we've got some decent shot blockers. Bacho's probably the best shot blocker on the team. You know, O'Banner and Bryson Williams are guys that just don't, they just don't elevate like that. Santos Silva doesn't really elevate like that. They're decent, but rim protectors, no, that's not really been Tech's game. You know, their their big calling card is always, you know, the no middle defense, and so you just don't get a ton of great inside looks. And so that's really how Tech kind of, I think, has been utilizing and not getting into situations where they're having to really protect the rim like that, just, you know, where you're just struggling to to really get good shots in the paint. So I don't know that that's going to be something that's big, but, but the perimeter defense, I think, has always been pretty darn good for Tech. So. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Texas Tech's offense. Um, first, we'll take a short break to hear from our sponsors. We're back. So, you know, we talked about the top two scorers out. Tech still has uh, a couple of guys, Bryson Williams and Davion Warren, who are averaging double figures. You know, how, how are those guys doing when their usage has presumably gone up and they're asked to score a little bit more? Yeah, so Williams, again, he's the transfer from UTEP. He was kind of forcing things a little bit earlier in the year or maybe just a few mid-games ago, and then the Kansas game was seemingly a game where he really kind of let the game come to him, and he didn't take a ton of four shots, and that was really, really great. He's a good outside shooter, and so he's a big guy that can shoot outside, and that's kind of the same thing as O'Banner. I don't know if you remember him. He played for Oral Roberts, and he and that other guard were just, you know, they, they're the ones that took ORU to, I think, the Sweet 16, if I remember correctly, but they were fantastic, and so uh, and then Warren averaged about 20 points a game last year for Hampton. So Tech kind of put together their roster based on a ton of transfers. So Williams, Warren, O'Banner are all transfers. Adonis Arms is also a transfer from oh, oh gosh, I've gone blank, um, but he was really he's pretty good, and he kind of he's been starting. He's kind of a do it all kind of guard. He doesn't necessarily score a lot, but he's got good handles. Uh, he rebounds decently, and he scores okay as well. So, yeah, that, that's been a big part of Tech's game. It's just all those transfers contributing in some form or fashion while Shannon and McCullough are out. And You know, Tech, because they, you know, they're a big drive-and-dish team, and so anytime that they're shooting threes, it's usually based off of a dish, and they're, they're going pretty hard to the basket. Like I said, I mean, 44 points in the paint against Kansas is, I don't remember a team scoring that many points in the paint other than a really, really soft non-con team. So I thought that was probably the most impressive stat from the Kansas game. Yeah, yeah. and Arms is from uh, Winthrop, it looks like, is where he transferred in from. But, yeah, I mean, the the way that Tech and Iowa State and, and Kansas State, to a lesser degree, 
I guess have benefited from the transfers kind of kind of microcosm probably of, of what it's been like across the country. It's just kind of become a, a bigger way to build the roster. Uh, it's interesting to see. You know, it, it seemed like the, the K-State guys jumped in pretty well right away. You know, was it like that for Tech? Was there any time that they, they needed to mesh? Or? Gosh, I really don't think so. I think Warren and Arms and O'Banner and Williams, I mean, they all started or played significant minutes from the get-go. So, in fact, those guys started over guys like Nadoni, who's been there for two years, and the same thing for Agbo, who's been there for a couple of years. So, I mean, they yeah, yeah they kind of gotten ahead in the pecking order pretty much from ground zero. Maybe that's part of why the defense maybe struggled against some of the non-con on the three-point shooting because I think that's probably the hardest thing to do is the defensive rotations and getting guys where they need to be, especially when the ball gets swung. Uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to do. So that may be another little bit of insight as to why the three-point shooting on the defensive side of the ball isn't so great. But no, they've, they acclimated very quickly, I think, so. I guess, like Eric said, I, I should say Masood did start pretty slowly, especially on the offensive side. But really, those two guys have been good. And Eric, did you ever think that K State would have a six-four guard who's leading the Big Twelve in rebounds? No, but I like it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the dude's just got a nose for the ball. You know, it's it's actually kind of it's kind of fun to watch. We made fun of him a little bit, just like he's the hustle dude at the Y, right? You know, yeah. he's the he's the guy that's going to go out, he's going to score points, he's playing tough D, and he goes and gets rebounds. Like he's just a do it all kind of player, and I, I love having that kind of player on our team, especially someone like Mark Smith. That's he, he's a senior or fifth year or something like that, so he's got the experience coming through a couple of different programs now. Just great contributions to the team, pretty much every week. Yeah, it's like yesterday at one point the announcers compared him to Wes Awundu, and like, those guys are not in the same league athletically. They are they are not in the same league athletically, but what they give the team was actually very is, is yeah. very similar. So I didn't yeah. I didn't take quite as much umbrage to the uh, uh, to the comparison as uh, some K State folks. No, Mark Smith is not going to be an NBA player, but what Wes Awundu brought to K State and what Mark Smith is bringing to K State right now from a what they do on the floor very similar actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So, yeah, I mean, this Texas Tech team, though, they, they've been, they had the Iowa State game where they struggled, but, you know, otherwise they've been putting up some points in a few games. You know, how, how is the offense coming along for this group? So, I think they were actually a lot better in a points per possession kind of standpoint than we were under Beard. So that was one of Mark Adams' hires whenever he became the head coach. You know, Beard was such a play everything in the 50s or 60s kind of guy, and every offensive possession was a real grinding kind of affair. And so he hired a guy from uh, Portland State, Barrett Peary, uh, who was the head coach there, and he is kind of just one of these, like, NBA kind of offensive flow kind of guys, you know, where, you know, it's a lot of, you know, driving and, and, and finding the open guy. And it's not such a, a grind offensively where it's kind of the old Bob Knight offense. And so that was one of the first things that Adams did was get away from that, which I find incredibly refreshing. And that was probably one of the hardest things to watch Tech do last year was to you know, play teams so darn close when maybe if they were just a little bit better offensively, they'd, they'd be able to do a lot more. So I've enjoyed watching it. And because they go inside so much, it 
makes the offense a little bit more recession-proof in a way. I don't know if that's the right word. But I think it helps just in terms of scoring and consistently put points on the board. So I think that's been a big benefit for sure. Yeah, well, I think as Kansas State fans, we know a little bit about the, the grinded out offense and the scoring games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it, uh, that that is something that's actually been kind of fun to watch this year. Is you know, it's it doesn't sound like a tremendous change, you know, from averaging in the mid sixties to averaging almost seventy points a game this year, but it just feels like it's a lot more free. It feels it, it just feels like the we're relying a little bit more on some talent and ability to put the ball in the basket, even though the the average points per game from last year to this year probably only changed about four or five points a game. Yeah, and one number to back that up, I was just looking at Kim Palm's adjusted tempo in K-State's 226th, which is pretty high for a Bruce team. It is pretty high for a Bruce team. Normally we're down around 270, 280, somewhere in there. So, Yeah, so... Another thing that's interesting about Texas Tech is that they're rebounding really well. I think they're second or third in the, in the conference, but they don't have anybody in the top 15 of individual rebounders. So is that just kind of a, a team effort, everybody crashing the boards? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, their smallest starter was McCuller, who's really kind of a forward. Um, and so everybody was either 6'5 or bigger. And so, yeah, it was definitely a collective effort. And, you know, I can't remember what game it was. But, you know, this is such a weird story, but Mark Adams used to coach hockey in, in Lubbock many, many moons ago. I mean, he's kind of been a guy that's floated around before he became a basketball coach. And so he tends to run his substitutions almost like he's running lines in a hockey game. I mean, it's two or three out at a time and then two or three in. I mean, it's, he's always looking for maximum effort. And don't get me wrong, he substitutes for reasons, you know, like at the end of the Kansas game, he had, you know, four ball handlers on the floor, you know, when it really needed to happen. But I mean, from a depth standpoint, it's, I mean, Tech has been a lot better than in previous years for sure. And so, yeah, you mentioned the the size and the small starter being 6'5". made me wonder, you know, and Eric and I have talked about this some, um, and you put Nigel Peck and Marquise Noel on the, same, on the lineup at the same time, you know, you end up being pretty small. Is that something that Tech could take advantage of on offense going up against two shorter guys? Oh, so, I mean, yeah, I definitely think that they can. I think they'll take more advantage of it defensively than they will offensively. Because I think that K-State always has pretty good size. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they continue to have good size. Most teams yeah. do. So We've got, well, um, so the size is, yeah. as long as the size stays healthy and out of foul trouble. That's been the big issue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so many of our guys pop outside. So that's probably been the one advantage is that like a banner and Bryce and Williams, I mean, they tend to shoot up. And so that's where a lot of the advantage comes into play. But from a guard standpoint, it's not like the guards are taking guys down low, but they do go to the hoop quite a bit. I'm just trying to look at T rank and I was going to look to see, I mean, we're shooting well, as a comparison. So close to K-State shooting 59% and Texas Tech is shooting 67%. And so we're just shooting a ton of shots close to the rim, I think, and making a decent amount. So, yeah, that probably does help quite a bit to an extent. Yeah, 59% seems high for Kansas State, honestly. <laughs> the way they've been shooting lately, those, those close to the basket shots. But They might yeah. not have counted the, the, the West Virginia game in that. Yeah, <laughs> could be right. 
You know, I want to dovetail onto that, just talking about the, uh, you know, we've been talking about what, what it would look like using Nigel Pack and Marquise Noel at the same time, and are we giving up a lot from a size perspective and that sort of thing. I would argue that some of our best basketball has come with both of them on the floor at the same time. And we're not really seeing much of a defensive liability with them on the floor because we don't, we haven't really played games against teams where they'll change their offensive flow in order to get what I'll say is a little bit more intentional interior shots from their guards. It's a lot more, you know, if you can get a guard that can penetrate in a one-on-one situation or maybe a little bit of a two-man game or something like that. And we play really good team defense where those players have some help and that sort of thing. So we haven't really seen a, a team be able to take advantage of that smaller lineup that we'll put on the floor. Now, if we're running a full five ball, uh, five small ball lineup with Ish running running the five, yeah, we can see it a little bit more just from an overall size perspective. But we haven't really come across a team that's really been able to take advantage of those smaller two guards out front simply because we play such good team defense interior. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess, Seth, before we get to the prediction for this game, we got to ask you about, you know, the coaching change at Texas Tech. I guess from what I've seen, I'm not super connected with Texas Tech fans, but obviously, like, nobody was happy that Chris Beard left. But it seems like there are some fans who took it, like, as a personal affront that he would leave Texas Tech after some of the things he said about loyalty. And then there are others who said, well, yeah, that that happens. Basketball, that's, that's the way college coaching works, kind of. Is that a fair assessment? And where do you come down on that? Yes, that's a completely fair assessment, and I fall in the latter group where I'm not personally offended really in any way by him wanting to go coach at Texas. I mean, that's kind of his alma mater, and he loves the Hill Country, and so, you know, there were maybe some behind-the-scenes things that maybe led to him wanting to find another place, too, that are, you know, it's kind of message board rumor kind of stuff that's probably not important, but you know, starting fresh and starting in Austin, that doesn't surprise me at all. And Adams is a good, I mean, Adams is a very good alternative, you know, and the fact that he, I mean, when his first hire is to hire a more offensive coach to kind of coordinate the offense, I mean, that means that he's, A, wanting to continue the defensive style that he introduced to Chris Beard, and then, two, he also wants to, be a little bit better offensively. So, you know, sometimes you get guys or coaches who are so stuck in their ways, they're not really willing to consider other options. And so for a guy who's in his mid-60s to do that, that's kind of refreshing because you just don't see that too often. So to be that self-reflective, you just tend to think that your way is the best way or the only way. So, I mean, I'm I'm completely happy and, you know, I mean, I think that Adams has a lot to prove. And, you know, I think that's the difference between that. Well, I'll say that the beard was a guy that just squeezed every ounce of whatever it is that there was there out of you. And I think that, that can be really, really draining on a team. So, but I think that he's really good at it. So, I mean, I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I mean, I think he's really good at squeezing every bit out of your team, but you know, it's different in Austin. You know, you don't have the same kind of players that you do at Tech. And so you can't squeeze that hard because then you may have guys that be like, well, I don't know if I really like that, being pushed as hard as they are. So it's definitely a different kind of culture. And so you have guys that kind of embrace that attitude at Tech. And 
same thing in Kansas State. I mean, I'm not trying to say that tech is unique in that way, but definitely I think that it's something that maybe plays really well in in Lubbock and Manhattan more so than it plays in Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it was. That, I don't think it was that dissimilar from what we experienced with Bob Huggins coming in here to K State and then having the, the the job open up out at West Virginia and he left. You know, obviously Chris Beard had a little bit more success at Texas Tech and just from a longevity standpoint, if anything, than Bob Huggins had at K State. But you know, my my biggest complaint there would be if players have to sit out for a year if they're going to transfer in conference, coaches should have to <laughs> too. So, yeah, 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 I agree with that for sure. But, you know, I'm I'm all for player movement. And as long as coaches and players are kind of on the same footing, then I'm good for it. And, you know, I think that the thing that was always so weird is that he just kind of went radio silent, you know, and the writing was on the wall. He just didn't want to be in Lubbock anymore. And I think that there are, again, some personal things that maybe led him to go to Austin just to kind of start fresh in a way. So I think that everybody's kind of, I mean, I'm, I couldn't be more pleased with, the coach that Tech hired, and I hope that he continues the success that he's had. Uh, again, it's limited, but you know he had a long, really impressive history at the JUCO level, and so coaches can coach. And sometimes you don't find one until you you don't find your way until the big time until you're given this kind of opportunity. And I think that was one of the other interesting things too is that the story goes is that when Beard said, "Well, I'm going to Austin." Let's go, boys. And Adam said, that's all right. I'm going to stay here. He didn't want to get on the plane. Mm-hmm. Like, well, come on. And he just refused. He's like, nope, I'd rather take my chances here. I don't want to be in Austin. So, you know, Adams really thought that he had a shot at the coaching job without ever really being offered it, you know, when Beard left. And so, but he definitely didn't want to be with him anymore. So, again, and really, there was only one player that went with Beard, and that was a walk-on Avery Benson. Everybody else either stayed or, you know, there's one player that transferred to Houston. So, again, you know, I think that speaks a lot about Adams is that, you you know, the player retention. I think they enjoyed playing for him. I think that he's hard, but he's also probably pretty fair and a lot different than Beard is, my guess, too. Yeah. And just to further that, Bob Huggins' analogy, I mean, we saw his assistant, Frank Martin, step up into the job. I think that was more about keeping recruits than it was about keeping the, the continuity necessarily the team had. But yeah, I think I think that was certainly part of it. There was, there was also parts of it that was, at least from what I understand, that it was a really good opportunity for Frank to actually step into that head coaching role and that uh, Bob Huggins actually really recommended to Frank that he stayed there right. uh, and, and took that took advantage of that opportunity. So, yeah, yeah. And so, Seth, then I got to ask, and I, you know, I've heard people say some things and I'm excited they are about this, but what's the atmosphere going to be like on February 1st when Texas comes to Lubbock? It'll probably be pretty electric. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a fun game. I mean, to me, you know, a lot of these coaches tend to be almost like wrestling caricatures, and I think that Beard is a lot like that. You know, I think that his persona is probably a lot different on a public level than it is privately, and so you kind of get that public wrestling persona and so you know again you know the way that he left probably left some people feeling hurt or whatever but i'm past it it'll be fun and i think it'll be loud and i think the crowd will be juiced so i'm excited to just kind of see the event for what it is so yeah and then just you know um coming into the season i think tech was picked fourth in the big 12 
like you said, a lot of kind of uncertainty when you bring in so many transfers, you know, where are the expectations and, and how they changed kind of as the season has progressed and seeing what you have? Uh, for Tech, I would say that we're probably still hoping for kind of like a 20-win team and 500 in conference play or, you know, a couple games better. I mean, to me, that's kind of the the expectation, but I don't know that that really changed that much. Again, you know, when coaches leave and you're trying to put together a team and, you know, you don't really have a season to recruit, you don't really have a choice but to go after transfers to kind of build the team that you want. So it, it's always a little bit hard. And so I would just say, yeah, 20 wins is probably the floor and that's kind of what my expectation would be and, you know, getting to the tournament. And then who knows where you go from there. I think a lot of that has to do with where you get seated and all that other good stuff. So um, I think Tech is kind of like a seven seed or somewhere around there right now. And I think that's probably appropriate given the fact that they haven't played anybody to speak of, you know, a non-con other than the three that I mentioned. And, you know, the conference is such a grind. And so if you can, if you can go above 500 and steal a few on the road, that's really the most you can ask for. So uh, yeah. if, if if a team does that, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be in the dance. Yeah. And then Eric, circling back to, to K-State, I don't know about you, this kind of feels like a make or break week. These two home games, and then you get Texas, Kansas, Baylor to close out the month. I mean, if you go into this week, I don't know if there's any digging out of that hole. Uh, oh, I think there's, I think that the game on Wednesday against TCU is an absolute must win. We don't win. We don't win that game. We're starting the. We're starting the conference season zero and eight. And yeah, yeah there's that, that's not a hole. That's a that's a coffin <laughs> for the season. So yeah, TCU is a must win. If we can get the one against Texas Tech, then it starts to make me think we might be able to go into Austin and win. But you know, you throw the other th- the the other couple of t- games that we have coming up there with the game at uh, the game against KU and the game against Baylor. You know, you can't say that. Anything won't happen, but there's not a whole lot, a whole lot of likelihood there. So, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately we dropped a couple of that we probably should have won already this season, and it's starting to look like uh, it's starting to look like K State and TCU are in a battle for last place. Yeah, yeah, and, and that TCU team, you know, will be pushed over their top, especially. I don't know what Mike Miles' status is. I know he had the wrist injury. He came back into the game, but wasn't the same in that game against Baylor. So. Yeah, he still ended up having 36 in that game. Or 26, sorry. He still ended up having 26 in that game, and and, and TCU played Baylor even. Right, but in, I think he scored like 22 before the injury. Was about, okay. Yeah, so Got we'll it. see. But, yeah, then, uh, so Saturday's game, to circle back to that. What do you see happen in Manhattan, Seth? Oh, I'm horrible at predictions, especially in basketball. so much depends on you know if McCullough and Shannon come back but you know I guess the positive would be Kansas you know Tech playing really well without two of the most important players and so you kind of get some sense that these guys stepped up and kind of figured out how to play within themselves and you know lead the team to a, a pretty important win I really didn't think we would win without them. So, you know, count me one as someone that just wasn't real sure that they would be able to do that. And then, so in terms of, I mean, I always kind of tend to think we play things so close to the vest. It wouldn't surprise me if, like, Tech is favored by three or four points as a guy, my guess. And so if that's the spread, I mean, I'd probably take Tech, but not by much. I mean, I think it's going to be a 
pretty close game. That's kind of my my gut feel. I don't know what you guys think. I think it's going to be a game that uh, I'll be surprised if either team gets to 70. I think yeah. uh, as we as we were joking around during the the West Virginia game a little bit, first one to 60 wins. You know, that's I, I really think it's going to be played that way. It's gonna. I think it'll be tough to watch at times. To be honest with you, I like the fact that the game is in Manhattan. I just there's something about this game that tells me that it is winnable for K State. It just depends on what we're gonna do. That's dumb. That's gonna play our way out of it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. So uh, before we close things out, I did want to give a shout out to the Kansas State women's basketball team. Yes, they've won six in a row. Uh, obviously, had a big win against Baylor. A nice comeback win against West Virginia. They've been really great. Um, they actually have a game at Texas Tech on Saturday as well. Texas had an interesting start. I don't know Seth, how much you can speak to this team, but they lost a couple home games to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but then one on the road at number nine, Texas. So, uh, Yeah, I have not been able to, but they led almost from the wire in that game, and that doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> and then there was also like a kind of a kerfuffle with the UT head coach and our head coach and Something about it happened at the scores table, and he got really ticked off that we – I don't know. It was, a, it was a weird deal. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's great. And I wish I had time to follow the women's team as much mm-hmm. uh, as I follow the men's. But, you know, they're kind of still in that rebuilding era, I think. Right. right. Yeah, I've gotten to watch K-State women a couple of games, and Ioka Lee is – I mean, she looks like the best player in the conference. And then they've got some freshmen who are – playing pretty well also so yeah listeners need listeners of the podcast need to start paying attention to the women's women's team a little bit this year they've got two they're 13 and two their only two losses on the season came at at top five nc state and at number one south carolina so they've taken business every place else including a home win against number 10 baylor aoka lee is the real deal she's one of the you, you say she's looks like one of the best in the conference i, I think she's one of the best players in the country so yeah and we're recording this on Sunday. If Kansas State is not a top 25 team on Monday, then rigged. Rigged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a big game against Iowa State in Manhattan on Tuesday. So that's one to watch if you can't get to Bramlage, you know, but get to Bramlage if you can support this team for sure. So, all right. I think that about wraps us up. Seth, thanks for coming on. You know, people can follow you on Twitter. At Seth C underscore J. I'm also at Stake in the Plane for your, your site. Uh, anything else that, that you want to plug? No, I just thank you guys so much for having me on again. And it's always a pleasure to talk to the two of you. So just thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks, Eric. Hi, right, man. We'll see you on the next one. So, yeah. yeah. I